fmsradio.com where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome, 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 welcome to Fired Up Radio right here on WJMS.com. This is Steve. I host the show each week and we get under the hood of the political machine here in the United States. Welcome to your Monday edition of Fired Up, everybody. I hope you had a great week since our last show. Uh, We are now coming up on two weeks out from the 2020 election. And I have to say, I know how... I said uh, that once election day had passed, that it would be great to have you know a short break uh, from you know politics and and all of the the drama and things that have gone on over the last two years. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like uh, we don't get off that easy. So uh, let's let's take a check, and we're going to look uh, in the first half of this show and what's transpired since Election Day. But first, as always, uh, let's go through the numbers and let's start off with our COVID reporting. And we have crossed 11 million cases of COVID uh, as of Sunday night. And 240,000 people have died from the disease. And beyond that, what we have seen is that in the last 10 days, we have had nine straight days of new cases reported in the United States of over 100,000 per day. Um, That is higher than it has been throughout this year with the pandemic and, you know, represents a new high point uh, scored each day. This is something that, you know, obviously has made headlines and has been talked about in the news, but we haven't really gone into it in a lot of depth. And also we haven't looked at it or it hasn't been as heavily discussed as it should be in terms of, you know, why are we here? Well, you know, you could argue on one side that the uh, leadership, particularly the executive leadership, Uh, of the party in power, uh, yes, Republicans, I mean you, have walked away from, abandoned, abrogated their responsibility to combating this disease, to bringing the resources to bear, to making sure that, you know, what we need to have in place uh, is actually being put in place since until the 20th of January, you guys have two uh, segments or two-thirds of the government under your control. We've seen in the last, as I said, nine days, almost a million cases of COVID-19 coming up. We have, by some estimates, uh, close to 70 to 75,000 people hospitalized just in the past week, uh, on top of those that are already in the hospital. What we are seeing is, and if you recall, how could we forget, the arguments made during the political campaign that, you know, this was a, quote, blue state, close quote, problem. Uh, Unfortunately, the numbers uh, do not seem to be bearing that out very substantially over the last uh, month or so. Most of the areas of the country that are seeing spikes in cases are, in fact, in red states, are, you know, states that are controlled by Republicans. Um, Now, I'm not saying that that is you know, a a cause of the illness, uh, diseases really don't care 
about what your political affiliation is. Um, they just spread. And you know what we have seen is that the spread has occurred in a lot of areas that had been you know not as severely impacted in earlier months but as this disease has spread from more densely populated areas to more uh, suburban uh, and, and rural areas that these areas are primarily where you know Republicans uh, live and, and again I'm not painting this as a Republican problem this is an American problem you know, this is something that we as Americans need to be and have to be concerned about. Um, some of the things that we have seen over the last you know, few months, uh, for example, there has been no movement uh, of substance on any type of uh, economic relief or stimulus relief going out to the people and the concerns in this country that need it. The, you know, the last stimulus check was issued back in March. Uh, the enhanced unemployment payments ran out in August. This is now November. And you know, we still do not have a, a bill that is ready to be sent to the president's desk for his signature to release additional economic and financial aid to the millions of people in this country that have been hard hit by it. The unemployment rate in this country still orbits around somewhere 10 to 12 million people who are out of work, have been out of work, and in some cases have been out of work since the start of the pandemic. Um, we have seen states that you know thought that the, the worst was over and had begun to reopen and you know reopen businesses and, and reopen various gathering spots and so forth that the spikes in coronavirus cases have forced them to walk that back we have businesses particularly small businesses that have suffered mightily uh, i've seen estimates of between 100 and 250,000. Uh, businesses that have closed due to the pandemic that will not ever ever reopen which means those jobs are gone I have seen you know schools that opened and closed within a week because of an outbreak of COVID in the schools we just recently got new alerts that COVID cases in nursing homes have also seen an uptick so what we are seeing is that this disease is not going away we have not as as uh you know political leadership has stated you know turned the corner we are actually circling around and coming back into yet another surge in coronavirus in this country and our leadership you know again republicans control two-thirds of of the government so they own the majority share but democrats have also not done everything that is is possible they have not really worked the efforts there's been nothing but political posturing and finger pointing and brinksmanship and game playing between both republicans and democrats meanwhile the american people continue to suffer and you know i i it begs the question for you know for you out there whether you are republican or democrat when is enough enough what do we else what else do we need to do rather to 
get our political leaders to engage with this in a real way and not just throw words back and forth and blame, you know, this leader or that leader or this party or that party for what they are not doing. We need to get our political leadership on the J.O.B., on the job of getting, you know, economic stimulus and relief for the people that need it out there. And this idea of saying that this is a red problem or a blue problem. No, this is an American problem that the American leadership has to solve. And we need to be communicating with them. We need to be getting our voices heard uh, as loudly as they were heard in the election. We need to make sure that the people that we elected and the people who are still in office understand that we mean business. If they're not going to do this job, then, you know, we are going to take note of it and we are going to remember it. And there will be a price to pay when the next elections roll around, which is, oh, yeah, the midterms in 2022. So, you know, it, it, it's it's unacceptable for the amount of suffering that is occurring in this country because of the inactivity of our political leadership. And to that extent, it is also partly on us because we are not applying the pressure that we can apply, apply or should apply to our leadership at all levels to get them engaged. Um, you know, it, it, it's not enough to you know, point the fingers you know, across a, a protest line and say, this is your fault or this is your fault, whatever. No, we need to align, we need to coalesce, we need to come together, and we need to make our voices heard as one voice to our leadership to say enough is enough, do your damn job. So, you know, just my thoughts on that. The, the call to action there is clear. Get in touch with your state politicians, your mayors, your city councils, your county boards, your uh, state senators, your state congresspeople, your governors. Get in touch with your national congressional delegation, with your senatorial delegation, and communicate to the White House. Yes, I know he is you know, supposed to be heading out of the door in another 50-something days, but he is still the president until then, and he still needs to lead on this issue. So, you know, our job is clear. We need to make our displeasure known and felt in the halls of government in this country. So, first call to action. Let's get on the horn. Let's get communications out there, and let's make sure that we are letting uh, the elected officials know that we, the people, are not happy. Next item on the agenda. As I've said, we're coming up on now two weeks out from the election. And over the course of the last few days, the final states uh, have been called in the election. Uh, the, you know, the Republicans and Trump won North Carolina, as expected. And the Democrats have been um, given, have been awarded Georgia, uh, flipping that state from red to blue for the first time in, I believe, something like 30 years. And we now have a complete electoral picture of 
you know, what the, the race for president has turned out to be. And it turns out to be the same numbers as were recorded in 2016, just with reversal of the parties. The Democrats uh, accrued a total of 306 electoral votes, and the Republicans finished up with 232. Again, the exact same numbers as 2016, just reversal of the parties that received the votes. Uh, in addition, and to be noted, in the victory of you know, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris, uh, the Democratic Party did in fact lose a few seats in the House of Representatives. Uh, and as of yet, the Senate remains up for grabs with a runoff election in January to decide the final two senatorial seats as to whether they will be Republican or Democrat. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, in the second half of the show. But you know, it should be noted that a, a larger number of votes were submitted in the election in this 2020 race than at any time in the history of the United States, uh, with a total of nearly 150, well, actually 150 uh, million and some change uh, total votes tallied uh, for both parties combined. Um, so where do we stand? Uh, so the House is currently at 219 Democratic seats and 203 Republicans, with 13 seats still yet to be determined. Um, and the Senate, as I mentioned, has the Democrats with 48 seats and the Republicans with 50 seats, with two seats uh, still yet to be decided. So it, it raises the question of, you know, where do we go from here? Because what we've seen uh, so far in the transition uh, is unusual or atypical from normal post-election uh, transfers, uh, particularly at the presidential level, uh, where once one side has declared uh, the victor, the uh, opposing side usually will concede the race and the process of transition between administrations will begin. Uh, this includes, among other things, um, funding for you know, office space and staff and equipment and resources, as well as top-level access by the incoming administration to those key uh, government officials, uh, cabinet-level and you know, leadership-level uh, officials to begin the process of learning you know what's at stake what's going on and what do they need and helping to uh, essentially train them on what they need to know in order to hit the ground running uh, on day one of the new administration well if that has not transpired by choice uh, per the republican party the uh, official in the gsa the government services administration who is tasked with authorizing the release of transition funding and resources uh, has been directed not to do so. So basically, the games go on. The Republicans, uh, and, and I group all of them together in this, not just uh, you know, the, the president and his, his inner circle, but the Republicans have stonewalled the transition 
by not allowing access to needed and necessary uh, tools and equipment and funding in order for them to ramp up to take over control of the government on the 21st of January. And, you know, we, we still see that this game playing uh, is continuing, even though, much as with the COVID pandemic, uh, even though it has, you know, more than just political ramifications, it impacts how well the incoming administration is going to be able to do its job how prepared the United States is for a smooth continuation of government once the new president and you know new administrations are um, sworn into office. And, you know, just this, I don't know, this baby-ish uh, game of holding on to, you know, to their marbles um, th- that is really just unprecedented and, and really is, is hurtful to the American system as a whole. So, you know, it's clear. It's clear we have a divided country. Um, you know, 51% of the electorate voted Democratic, 47% voted Republican, essentially nearly an equal tie. Uh, it's clear that there are some distinct differences in the approach and operation going forward between the incoming administration and the current administration. Uh, that's nothing new. You know, there have always been transitions, particularly when there is a transition of party, uh, that, you know, that there are some wrinkles that need to be worked out. There are some differences of philosophy and approach that need to be ironed out. But what has been a historical precedent is that normally this has been worked out in an amicable fashion for the benefit of the country as a whole. This does not seem to be the case this time around. For whatever reasons out there, uh, and, and as you know, indicated and demonstrated by the president and the White House, uh, there has been a, a solid and real effort to delay and stonewall the transition of power going into the new administration. Uh, and, you know, this, this is a Republican problem because, you know, there is, is no collection or chorus of voices that are going to the White House and, you know, basically saying to the president and his his inner circle you know it, it's it's done the uh, the voters have spoken you need to release the machinery of the transition of power so that our government and our political systems can continue to operate smoothly uh, this is not only a a a country problem in terms of the infrastructure of this country. It is a national security concern. It is an economic concern and it is a social welfare concern. Uh, and, and again, you know, our, our role as the voters, we need to make sure that our message going into our national leadership is clear that, you know, okay, we don't like it that, you know, our party lost, but the country needs us to move forward. The country needs you 
to to take up the actions you need to take and move our country forward and do what needs to be done. You know, and you know, we're we're gonna talk a little bit in the second part of the show about, you know, what what kind of things you know, should be happening, what kind of things do we want to happen, you know, and, and what our political leadership on both sides of the aisle uh, need to do going forward. So, you know, it, it's clear that there are some, some big uh, fractures in our political system, and it, it goes beyond just Republican and Democrat. Uh, it goes to this notion of ego and personality and brinksmanship and game playing that is being done uh, irregardless apparently of what the will of the people is and that this needs to change. And if, if our political leaders aren't going to take this up, then this is something that we need to mark down, put this on our list of concerns for the midterms coming up in, in just a short two years and you know make sure that we make it clear that you know this has got to stop that our expectation of our elected officials are that first and foremost they support the constitution of the united states and that they support the united states of america as one entity not a a red states of america versus a blue states of america as i've said before uh, we are a United States of America, and you know our leadership, up and down the line, all the way from the bottom to the top, need to reflect that reality. You know the election has has concluded, and yes, there are still you know some recounts that are going to happen. You know Georgia is going to be doing a recount, or actually, as of the time this show is broadcasting, they are actually nearly uh, completed with it. Um, there are still, you know, two Senate seats to be decided and, you know, uh, 13 uh, House seats that need to be decided. And there are still some other things that need to be resolved. But those should not and must not stop the process of the transfer of authority to govern this country from going forward. And, you know, a as long as the people, that's us, are letting our leadership get away with these things, we are as much to blame as they are for them actually not doing it. So, you know, our, our actions now need to be clear. Yes, we are deeply divided as a country. However, there are things that cross over party, that cross over, you know, political ideolo ideologies um, that, that are not conservative issues or progressive issues or liberal issues, but there are things that are American issues that we expect, and let me say that again, that we expect our leadership to address on our behalf. And if they're not doing that job, then you know we will continue to see change coming from the ballot box with who sits in the seats of power in this country. That is our role, and we cannot walk away from it as citizens of this country and as voters of this country. So, you know, the call to action, as I said, we need to make sure that 
you know, now that the election's over, that we don't turn off the communications going to our officials, that we let them know that, you know, that this is an ongoing process, that we expect that certain things are going to get done, and that we are holding them accountable for getting those things done. So, you know, we will keep an eye on this. We shall revisit it as need be going forward here on Fired Up. Uh, but right now, let's take our first break and, you know, we'll come back in the second half and talk about some more things in terms of where we are going and what needs to be done and so forth. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break. My people in the east, yo, you gotta wake up. Midwest, dirty south, yo, you gotta stand up. All my homies in the west, yo, you gotta wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up.
plan up here. We gotta stand up here and give thanks to the man upstairs. Put the egos and the pride to the side regardless. And just be role models, parents, artists. We can make a change or we can make it the hardest. If you gonna make a baby, you should make them the smartest. Let them know good and bad, right from wrong. How to roll with the punches when life moves on. And the stress won't take toll if you don't sweat it. World won't get no better if we don't let it. Let the negative energy ride. Keep hope alive. It's about time that we open our eyes. Time for the second guessing. The words I speak. The ones who sleep in the leadership's fiction mouth to teach. MCs teach the kids with peace. They don't have to worry about the police. We make them whistle, they don't have to see. Every artist here on this track. We'll make a change here for young cats. This is for everybody, white or black. You better go and vote and get up off your back. Welcome back. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Radio. This is Steve. I'm your host. And we're talking about the post-election after effects of 2020. So as we um, finished up in the first segment, uh, we have, you know, a, a divided country. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it is clear that while the uh, electorate definitely uh, voted a referendum on the current president, the Republican Party had what could be considered by all accounts uh, a pretty fair outing. You know, they gained a few seats in the House. Uh, they, they have not demonstrably lost the Senate, even though there are still two races out, which we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, but as it stands right now, they have 50 seats in the Senate. And if they, you know, if they get both of the seats, then they retain control of the Senate. Mitch McConnell stays in as leader of the Senate. And, you know, in all likelihood, it's going to look a whole lot like it did after the first midterm uh, of the Obama uh, presidency uh, six years ago or actually eight years ago now. So let, let's look at what this post-election world looks like right now and again keeping in mind that there are still two seats in the senate uh, outstanding and you know right now we're not sure as to how those seats are going to be allocated but again we're going to talk about that so 
know, what what happened was, you know, obviously, as I said, the Republicans had a pretty good outing. Uh, there is likely a significant number of Republicans who did not uh, support their president and President Trump and voted uh, with the Democrats. Uh, we won't know for a while how those numbers break out until all the analysis is done of the the vote tallies and so forth. Uh, but it's clear that, you know, 73 plus million people support the Republican Party in this country, uh, while 78, you know, uh, almost 79 people supported the Democrats. Uh, but there is still, you know, significant and substantial support for the Republican Party and the platforms that that party stands on whether you like them or not, uh, that, that played a part in this election. While it seems, at, and again, without numbers, right now we're talking anecdotally, while it seems that you know, the actions and, and things that you know, President Trump has done over the past four years uh, did not sit well with all of the Republicans, it is clear that the actions that the Republican Party took over the same time frame uh, didn't rise or sink to that same level for Republicans, and they returned a good number of them, if not the majority of them, to uh, their, their seats for another term. Um, the Democrats, on the other hand, you know, made some, in, in my opinion, some very critical uh, campaign and election mistakes in the 2020 election. Uh, first and foremost, and there have been uh, a few uh, analysts in the mainstream media and, and other outlets who have, who have brought this up, uh, the Democrats did not play their strongest possible hand in this election. Yes, they focused you know, a, a huge effort at the top in terms of Biden versus Trump. However, in some of the other races, uh, there was a clear you know, shortcoming in the amount of support that some candidates got. There were some candidates in some key races that really were, uh, by all assessments, you know, weak candidates. And you know, for example, the uh, opponent to you know, Senator McConnell, uh, Amy McGrath, uh, fell way short of, of any chance of defeating uh, McConnell, even though the Democrats showed a strong field in the run-up to that election. Um, there, the messaging that the Democrats provided and, and put out into the, the campaign uh, was fuzzy. And while it was strong on you know, bullet points, it was short in substance. And, you know, a lot of the, the concerns could be laid at the feet of, you know, the, the idea sounded good, but you didn't give me any of the substance so that I could see, you know, exactly how it might work, you know, in favor of me. And, you know, that message just was not clearly and, and forcefully communicated. Um, and, you know, the third part, as much as the Democrats have touted their their support among minority com communities uh, and, you know, 
putting aside the strong support that the Democrats received from the African-American community, there are other constituent communities where that support fell woefully short, particularly in the, the Hispanic slash Latin slash Latinx communities out there, you know, whatever uh, name you want to identify them by. Um, you know, if we look at Florida, there was a huge uh, percentage of the Cuban American population that voted Republican, that abandoned the Democrats, even though for many years they have been staunch supporters of, of the Democratic Party. Uh, there were, you know, a, a significant portion of, you know, Asian Americans that, you know, voted Republican. And, you know, while it's not new and there have always been, you know, minority participation in the Republican Party, and that in and of itself is not a bad thing, uh, the Democrats seem to be overconfident in the amount of support they thought they could count on uh, from those those constituent communities uh, and, you know, pay the price for it. Uh, there are, you know, clearly there were some seats that, you know, they looked in great position, you know, up through the primaries to, to take over, uh, capitalizing on mistakes made by the Republicans and some of the bad image things that the Republican Party uh, suffered from during the course of the campaign over the last two years. Uh, that just nevertheless didn't materialize primarily because the messaging that was getting out as we got closer and closer to the election really was not up to par, again, in my opinion. So, you know, a lesson to be learned uh, for the Republicans, I would say, is there are some drastic changes needed in your party uh, from a platform standpoint if you are going to expand your outreach into non-traditional constituencies, uh, so you may get, you know, ha have a, a solid block among your more traditional core, con core groups, you know, conservative, non-college educated, rural, white, and so forth. But if you seek to make significant inroads into other key constituencies in this country, particularly, um, you know, the, the, the African-American community, uh, to a larger extent, the Hispanic, Latin, Latinx community, uh, there's going to need to be some substantial changes to not only your messaging, not only the, the bullet points, but you're going to have to flesh out your programs to match those message changes. And you're going to have to prove it you're going to have to show, you know, a, a level of care and concern that says, you know, to these groups, you know, we we want you not just for your votes, but we want you to be part of the party. We want you to be part of how we shape America along the lines of our values. And here's how you know our values can align with yours and vice versa. Um, for Democrats, you know, the, the same message can actually be applied, you know, and, and this, is, this is not a new message. This is something that has been said of Democrats for, you know, many, many years, um, you know, going back decades that there are some, quote, assumed, close quote, core constituents of the Democratic Party that, 
you know, more and more as time's gone by, have felt, you know, taken for granted. Uh, it was said earlier, you know, if this was true, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago with regard to the African-American community in this country, that the Democrats take, take them for granted. Um, now, fortunately for the Democrats, uh, the Republicans have never really capitalized on that potential void in any substantial way. While it's true they've, they've made some inroads and have increased some percentages over the last you know, 10 or 15 years with certain subgroups within the African-American communities, the, the key overwhelming core, and by that I mean you know, African-American women, uh, have not moved over to the Republican Party in anything more than very small numbers. And, you know, if the Republicans look to rebuild their position in the country, uh, as well as to retain what they have right now, uh, they're going to need to make some substantive changes. You know, another group that both parties need to pay closer attention to, you know, are the younger voters. Are those 18 to, you know, to 30-year-old voters that are newly minted into the electorate and will soon become the largest voting block of the electorate. Well, you can't just tell this group, you know, uh, uh, you can't just give them a PowerPoint presentation and think they're going to jump in and march with you lockstep. They want to know the details. They want to know the facts underneath the plan. They want to see, you know, what it means for them uh, as much as they want to see what it means for the country. And you've got to show them, you know, that there are some, some short-term, some mid-term, and some long-term objectives that you hold and, and hold inviolate that appear, I'm sorry, that apply to them and that appeal to them so that they will consider joining the party and remaining in the party for a long period of time. This has historically been something that you know parties have done in that they have developed core components of their party platforms that are you know long-term appealing to certain constituency groups. Uh, and you know this has got to be applied you know to the younger generations as well as not losing sight of the still large chunk of voters who are over 30 and even you know older than that they still vote you know uh, voters over the age of 55 still make up one of the largest voting blocks in our country and you know in order for you to appeal to all of those those demographics you've got to have a comprehensive wide-ranging and and considered approach and party platform that says to these voters yes we we are appealing to you in the younger generations we want to continue to support our older generations you know and that's that's the art and science of politics is to appeal to your constituent demographics so you know, there are a couple of things that, you know, have transpired that are going to play key roles as we go forward 
not only in the coming months as the new administration takes place, but as we uh, move forward out toward the midterms, which is something we have to start considering. Uh, you know, so the the hoped for break in politics probably isn't going to last that long, but so be it. It's the nature of the beast. Um, but let's let's look at a couple of these things. And one in particular, which I think for right now, I mean, up through the the inauguration is is going to command the most attention aside from uh, coronavirus and covid, which should be the number one national priority um, is what's going to happen with these two seats in the state of Georgia uh, as we run up to the uh, runoff elections that occur there. You know, as I said earlier, and as you know, if you've been following the news, there are two seats that are up for election in Georgia, uh, one due to, you know, special circumstances in in filling a vacancy, and the the other seat uh, was in the normal six-year rotation. Um, But with the current makeup of the Senate, that is, the Republicans already have 50 uh, seats in the Senate. Uh, the Democrats have 48. And, you know, control of the Senate lies in what transpires with these two seats. So to break that down um, briefly, so let's say there are three scenarios that, you know, are, are potentially uh, uh, there are there are three scenarios that could potentially happen here. Uh, scenario one, the Democrats will win both of those Georgia seats. Uh, scenario two, the Republicans get both of those Georgia, Georgia seats. And scenario three, they split. So you know, if we look at scenario one, if the Democrats get both of those Senate seats, then the Senate goes to a 50-50 tie and the tie-breaking vote falls on the president of the Senate, who is and who will be the you know, incoming vice president, uh, Kamala Harris, who will decide any tie votes that occur. Now, not every vote is a tie. Uh, there, there were not that many ties over the past four years uh, that Vice President Mike Pence had to to uh, break, but you know if a tie vote occurs on on certain issues, then obviously you know Kamala Harris will vote with the Democratic side and resolve the issue to the favor of the Democratic Party. More importantly, uh, the Democrats need to work hard on building a coalition across the aisle, identifying those Republicans who on certain specific issues may in fact agree with their, their uh, political philosophy and vote with them. Uh, if we go in scenario number two, if the Republicans get both seats, then they control the majority in the Senate um, all, you know, by two votes. And you know, even though the vice president will sit as president of the Senate, uh, in most cases, the Republicans will be able to get many things they want to get done by a simple majority vote. Now, that doesn't mean the Democrats are powerless. It just means that they're going to have to work harder, as I said in scenario one, to build those coalitions on issues that are of importance 
and you know make the deals and 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 work across the aisles to get republicans to join them now the third option if the Repub if the seats split that is republicans get one the democrats get one we still have republican control of the senate only by one vote in this this instance uh you know, Kamala Harris is the president, so she's available to break any tie votes. And the Democrats' role in reaching across the aisle gets a little bit uh, easier in that they really need only swing two senators instead of three or four in order to achieve a majority vote. And now that doesn't you know, take into consideration things that require a 60-vote a win. Uh, and actually, that's something we're going to talk about in next week's show when we talk about some of the things uh, in terms of a legislative process that, you know, the Democrats should look to try and change, particularly in the first two years. And absolutely, if they actually get the majority in the Senate. Um, one other element to to plug into this is the wild the wild card factor of what impact former President Donald Trump will hold over the Republican Party. Uh, that seems to be a literal wild card because uh, at this point it is not clear exactly what he is going to do other than some rumors that are circulating around that he is going to start to put together a machine to run for election as president again in 2024. Uh, others are that you know he's looking to form a media company uh, ostensibly to take on Fox News, which he now seems to have fallen out of favor with, and he now seems to not like them anymore. Um, and you know, third option is he's going to work to build up a a a war chest of money that he can then use as leverage to get you know. Republican politicians to, you know, to, to stay loyal to his objectives by financing their campaigns. So it remains to be seen what will happen. I'm pretty sure we'll have a clearer idea as we get closer and closer to Inauguration Day. But, you know, Donald Trump is, is not going to disappear once he leaves office. You know, uh, the, the idea of Trumpism in this country is not something that, you know, gets the, the power cord pulled out of the wall, you know, once Donald Trump is no longer president. We are still going to see the elements and the facets of the Trump influence on Republican politics for, you know, quite some time to come, not only with the number of conservative judges that have been appointed you know, to the federal bench and, you know, the 6-3 majority that uh, of conservative justices on the Supreme Court, you know, but there are a lot of political issues where the Republicans, you know, under Trump had some very strong feelings and those are not necessarily going to go away. Now, you know, how much influence we have over the Republicans in the Senate remains to be seen. However, keep in mind that you may be a Democrat voter, but your senator or senators may be Republicans, but they are still your senators. They still are supposed to respond 
to the will of their constituents in their home state. So, you know, our homework assignment going forward is going to be to strengthen that that resolve to get our political leaders to understand that when they are taking these critical votes, they need and must take into account the, the, the will of their constituents. You know, things like aid for, you know, uh, economic aid under the coronavirus, uh, you know, getting our schools reopened, all of these things. You know, as we look at what's coming down the pike in the next four years, we will start to see the first elements of, you know, congressional redistricting that will be done at the state level. So if your state legislature is Republican, uh, yet you are our Democrat, uh, then you need to be, you know, exercising your voice in numbers to let them know that, you know, there's there needs to be some rules to how they gerrymander the districts. Um, you know, if if it turns out that, you know, the status quo stays in place with Republican control, then the the goal's gonna be in the midterms for, you know, the the half of the Senate that is up for reelection in the next two years or the third actually that's up for re-election and and the representatives of the house who are also up for re-election that we're going to need to address that so you know just as what happened in the obama administration where they started out with control of all three houses of government and then in the midterms it turned around and they lost the 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 senate uh and the uh, Republicans started their obstructionist policy against, you know, things that the Obama administration wanted to do, most notably appointment of judges. You know, we're going to have to look at and work as best we can to convince our political leaders that it, it is ill-advised to follow that policy uh, as the midterms are coming up and, you know, serious and drastic changes to our elected officials could occur at that time. So the, the, the game of politics never stops. It continues to go on. But the need for us to remain vigilant, to remain in communication with our elected officials all the way up the line from local to federal, and to exercise and, and hold our elected officials accountable to what we want uh, has never been more important. You know, we have a lot of issues in this country that we need to resolve and fix. You know, we haven't even talked about the efforts to eliminate the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare and what that would mean. And by the way, we have not seen a plan. We've seen an intention. Yes, we want, you know, Republicans are saying, we want to repeal and replace Obamacare. Our question as voters needs to be very clear. With what? Show us your plan. If it's better, fine. If it's worse, no. If it can work with just fixing the things that are wrong with Obamacare, let's do that. So, you know, our work is still out there. You know, our need, the need for us to be engaged with our elected officials has never been stronger. So, 
call to action, stay engaged, stay involved, stay woke. Let's make sure that they're doing what we sent them there to do. And that's going to wrap it up for this week, everybody. Um, I hope everybody is, is staying safe with, with the surge in, in coronavirus. Never more important than now to make sure that you're wearing your mask, you're practicing, you're distancing, you're washing your hands, you're keeping yourself, your family, your community, and your, your country as safe as possible. Everybody, please take care. Stay safe. As always, if you have questions to the show, please send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. Look for uh, information coming out on our Facebook page, which is firedupradio on facebook.com. And I look forward to another episode of Fired Up. I will talk to you all again in seven days. Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.